0: Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute Weekly Podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. And this is an episode of the LTI Podcast. So, we're talking today specifically towards healthcare providers. Uh, patients, of course, are welcome to listen in. Uninterested un- parties or um, salespeople or whoever you are, everybody's welcome to listen, of course. But we've got uh, several things we're going to cover today that are specifically for healthcare providers. So, let me give you a rundown here. We're talking today about laser or photobiomodulation for neurodegeneration. So, we're going to talk about what Photobiomodulation for neurodegeneration would mean what neurodegeneration is. We're going to talk about really why and how this works. We're going to talk about the cellular mechanisms and how they lead to the therapeutic effects that we expect with an intervention like this. We've got a couple of cautions to go over, and then we've got some healthcare specific information at the end, like how do you actually use this information in your practice how do you help patients with this info so there's a lot of really good stuff
1: it's a deep episode
0: it's going to be a deep episode yep. and so because amazing. of that because half the people are going to fall asleep halfway through <laughs> potentially you don't you're not allowed to of course okay but, um but we are going to get in pretty deep so i'm going to give you the bottom line up front Sounds which good. is something i was first told about in the military given the bottom line up front first so they know where you're going. And then Mm -hmm. if they need to get the details, they can stick around for the details. Right. So today we're talking from a paper that was published back in December of 2020. Very recent. Very recent, yep. Mm -hmm. Published in Cellular and Molecular Neurobiology. And the title of the paper is The Molecular Mechanisms of Action of Photobiomodulation Against Neurodegenerative Diseases, A Systematic Review. So in this review, they took a whole bunch of studies on light therapies mm-hmm. and neurodegenerative diseases, even animal studies, and they combined them all to try and, try and dig out, excuse me, what the actual mechanisms of light therapy are for neurodegenerative diseases. And when we're talking neurodegeneration, we're talking about uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. Parkinson's, um, Huntington's chorea. Uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS. Uh, a lot of these uh, central nervous system degenerative diseases that currently have very little hope for therapeutic options, mm-hmm. uh, very little hope for even slowing down the progression of the disease. So the bottom line up front on this is that for safe infrared and red light therapy or photobiomodulation, or as we often say, laser therapy because we use lasers specifically. Right. This is, this is a, a big piece of trying to find a way forward in the therapies and the fight against neurodegeneration. And that means using safe, non-invasive light, not burning or cutting, to affect this process. Because, as this paper says, neurodegenerative diseases might be slow but relentless as we continue to fail in treating or delaying their progression. Photobiomodulation can be translated to a potential therapeutic tool acting through a spectrum of mechanisms that work together to decelerate disease progression in the organism, which is difficult to achieve through pharmacologic interventions. Mm -hmm. So your bottom line there right up front is there is not a lot that can be done for neurodegenerative diseases, and light therapy is a potential therapeutic tool that acts through a whole spectrum of mechanisms in order to affect and delay the progression of neurodegenerative disorders. That's our bottom line. Now, if that was all you wanted to know, see you next time. But (laughs) if you want to know more, we're going to go ahead and start getting into why and how this works. There are cellular mechanisms that we have to talk about here, and this is going to get pretty deep pretty quick. Now, at the end, we're going to come back around and talk about, uh, again, a couple of cautions about how to interpret this information. And then we're gonna talk about how to leverage this info as a healthcare practitioner, as someone who wants to be able to help patients with neurodegenerative disorders. Whether you're a neurologist, or a PT, or a chiropractor, or another type of clinician, if this is within your scope, something that you're able to do, you could be a really powerful ally in the fight against neurodegeneration. There are estimates that, I mean, huge amounts, over 50% of the population will at some point deal with a neurodegenerative disease right uh, as we age and, and that's horrible
1: it is it is and it's it's hard for the person for the family for everyone so
0: yeah yeah it's one thing when somebody has you know an arthritic back and they can't do the things they want to do and there's pain involved that's bad mm-hmm. but when you're losing the person mm-hmm. even though they're still physically there
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, there's something uniquely difficult about that
1: Well, it's the brain slowly dying, isn't
0: that? Essentially, yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. So So let's talk about the positives here. What (laughs) photobiomodulation can do on the cellular side. And again, if you're not, if you find yourself falling asleep here pretty quick, that's all right. You don't have to know all this to understand how to use photobiomodulation. But in so many cases, people go, how does this really work? How does light safe non-invasive light that's not doing any burning any cutting any destruction how does that actually help change the tissues how is that even possible so there's a number of ways it's possible so um give me one moment because i've got a lot of data here that i need to sort through turn pages usually i (laughs) isolate data but this is so wide-ranging this study is really cool if you've got some extra time, go through it yourself and and see if you can get a read through on it. I'm going to give you the, the high points here, but there's a lot in here.
1: And you'll we'll link the the study uh, yeah. to the recording.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that'll at least be linked uh, on, the on the podcast side. Podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you can find that again. Apple Podcasts is a great place to get that. Exactly. So. Okay, so number one, number one big picture piece here, is that when it comes to cellular mechanisms, photobiomodulation stimulates mitochondrial activity. And of course, mitochondrial activity is important for cell uh, viability. The mitochondria produces energy for the cell to use. It's the energy factory within the cell. If you have mitochondrial dysfunction, mitochondrial disease, or inhibition, then the cells do not work like they're supposed to. So that's the number one side, is that photobiomodulation exerts a photochemical effect through the stimulation of mitochondrial cytochrome C oxidase, which is a key piece of stimulating ATP production within the cell. Number two is that mitochondrial stimulation, that first one we just talked about, actually triggers several signaling pathways as well. Those are the ERK, CREB pathways, PKC, and so forth. You want to get into that, again, read the paper. Um, If you know what those are, good on you, wonderful. Um, But this is more important because there are three significant paths through which these signaling cascades actually act. Number one is calcium ions. So the increased ATP production and release through the uh, oxidase simulation, through photobiomodulation, produces a a calcium ion influx through the purinergic P2X receptors. Everybody's favorite receptor, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. The the second one of those, and we're talking signaling pathways here, is through the cAMP pathways as well. So once you have uh, stimulated cytochrome C oxidase again, that raises the that initial pathway, but it also increases the production of ATP uh, when it comes to the neurodegenerative cell itself, specifically, not just healthy cells, but the neurodegenerative cell itself um adenyl cyclase convert atp to camp and that is then activated uh through proteins like pka and RAS. those mediators activate the further pathways that then lead to further production of reactive oxygen species okay (laughs) yeah okay but if you want to know if you're the ones asking well how does that really work this is how it really works you really want to understand how this is the how this isn't just magical light (laughs) shining down under the tissues and making them happy this is physically stimulating the processes within the cells not only how those processes work and how productive they are but even how the cell signals to itself to its own organelles and to other cells now, reactive oxygen species are important because they lead to the activation of other pathways that I won't name, and there's not necessarily always an increase in nitrous oxide signaling or in ROS, but a very short rise in ROS can lead to a lot of different factors from stimulating repair, to stimulating more blood flow, more nutrients into that cell. Short raise.
1: And the key thing you've said there is repair. Right. And regenerate.
0: So. Yes. because. When we're talking about degeneration if you want to reverse degeneration you have to regenerate right yes yeah exactly okay for those four people that are still with us (laughs) now we need to talk about the intracellular signaling molecules and and their pathways too And I'm gonna breeze through this as quick as I can but this is where it starts to get even more specific and pretty interesting if you're if you're a neuro geek at all if you know about some of these pathways this is really powerful stuff so the mapk pathway and the pi3k akt pathways are all important pathways when it comes to maintaining neurons and maintaining cellular viability the sirt one pathway is another one that's important under stress conditions especially metabolic stress and if you keep up with the research on neurodegenerative diseases at all then you've heard a lot about diabetes mellitus type 3 Have you heard of diabetes mellitus type three no
1: i have not Mm. that's new
0: right so you've got type one Mm -hmm. everybody knows that type one is one that you're born with right right type two is the kind that can happen over time right right Right. um there's a lot of different factors there sugar intake Mm -hmm. is typically blamed lifestyle things like that there's there's other factors too but diabetes type three
1: it's a new one for me it's a new one
0: for most people and it's not really an official title. It's just kind of what's being thrown around now as this term where the brain is under so much metabolic stress from high sugars, high inflammation levels, that it starts to degenerate. And because it's related to similar diabetes processes and insulin resistance, it's a something that they're calling diabetes type 3. And it's really fascinating because you can have, be non-diabetic and wow. still have this type three diabetes process going on that leads to neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. Interesting. Is, yeah. Very interesting. This is very deep. This is very, very deep, but that's where the science is going. Neurodegenerative diseases are not a simple, just Mm -mm. right here is the problem, let's cut that problem out. There are multiple layers, and in most cases this is a chronic problem Mm -hmm. that is being manifested by all these different mechanisms all being a factor. That's why we're going through these mechanisms, these pathways right now, because it's not one pathway, it's multiples. The entire system has to work together correctly mm-hmm. to avoid neurodegeneration and these neurodegenerative disorders. The last one of these intracellular signaling molecules that we're gonna talk about is, is heat shock proteins. And heat shock proteins are stress-induced proteins that mediate protein homeostasis and protein folding by acting as molecular chaperones.
1: Yes. Interesting. Then. I don't have a new word for
0: it. <laughs> it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an Indian study, so the, um, the translation is really good, but there's a few interesting mm-hmm. words like that. Molecular chaperones. I like it. I like it's, it. It's good like a good picture. Mm-hmm. But these heat shock proteins suppress apoptosis, which is cell death. Mm-hmm. So apoptosis is programmed cell death. When the cell mm-hmm. becomes too stressed, too strained, it'll actually kill itself because right. it realizes it's not going to survive. So, these heat shock proteins help to suppress that apoptosis, um, which is caused usually by triggers like oxidative stress, hyperthermia or heat, cytotoxicity or cell toxicity, and inflammation. Now, they are identified in neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Huntington's, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and spinocerebellar ataxia all of those conditions have misfolded proteins as a common disease mechanism. So if we're talking about not just Alzheimer's, but these other diseases too, all of them have these misfolded proteins as mm-hmm. a piece of this. And photobiomodulation actually mediates the production and use of these heat shock proteins to protect the system. Okay. Now, we start talking about proteins and people mm-hmm. might start if you're really tied into, like, you know, um, the, the neurodegenerative diseases and what happens with Alzheimer's, you get these protein aggregates, these plaques that form in the brain. Mm-hmm. Now, we start talking about that, and that is another big link here, too. So, in the amyloid peptide production and hyperphys- uh, hyperphosphorylated tau in Alzheimer's disease, these heat shock proteins are important for de- deregulating The production of these of these uh, amyloid peptides. Hmm. The amyloid peptides gather in these plaques and they are blamed for a lot of problems. Now some people think they're more of a symptom than the actual uh, problem itself but no matter what they become a problem as they build up and they form these very visible plaques on the brain you can see them on MRI and that's a hallmark for uh, Alzheimer's in particular.
1: And that just blocks... In the we brain. think it but may
0: block something in the brain and it starts out to be a protective process it's one of these processes that the body will do to try and protect itself from chronic inflammation and, mm-hmm. and um, insulin resistant uh, cell problems and so it'll try and build up these proteins as a way to protect itself but then it gets out of control it's too yeah. much and then we see them start showing up okay. so they say photobiomodulation was shown in one study to have reduced the amyloid peptide production and the phosphorylated tau in Alzheimer's disease uh, by the upregulation of heat shock proteins. So a really common thing that practitioners and patients alike both will do is they'll think, okay, they're using this laser on my brain, or they're using this this light on their brain, and it's dissolving these proteins. Not the case at all. We're stimulating the production of these heat shock proteins, which in turn de- Suppresses. Yeah, suppress the production of these peptides. So Uh it's not that we're melting things. It's not that we're destroying anything. Mm -hmm. We are taking these processes, all these multiple cascades, and making them work better.
1: So you're slowing down the production of those? Mm
0: -hmm. Through through heat shock proteins, which is an important step here, which your body does naturally on its own until it becomes overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about taking the body's natural processes Mm -hmm. and just making them happen better and faster.
1: That's what we have always talked about with laser therapy.
0: That's exactly right. And that's why laser therapy has such wide applications. If you, if you just take a glance at our, our list of podcast episodes, you're going to see everything from low back pain to neck arthritis mm-hmm. to um, plantar fasciitis, um, head trauma. Gosh, what else? I don't know. We've done so many episodes. And it looks like we're saying that laser therapy is, is the snake oil that works for everything. That's not it. It doesn't work for everything. But because light therapy works by stimulating the body's natural processes in a positive direction, Mm -hmm. it works for a lot of things because your body's made to repair. Mm
1: -hmm. So if you can enable
0: it and help it work faster, then you're going to get the body's natural processes working in the right direction. So that's why laser therapy has a great promise in so many different things. Sideline there.
1: That's exciting to think that. I mean, it's just amazing. I just am still amazed at how well laser therapy works for most things. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, your body is made to survive. Right. Your body is not made to fall apart. Mm -mm. Even as you age, the body fights to stay at its top level of performance. And if anything you can do to enable it to stay there means Mm -hmm. slower aging, Mm -hmm. better cellular performance, which translates to less disease, translates to... Better function, better quality of life. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Okay. So that's our, that's our, that's our side <laughs> side note there. Um, if you haven't fallen asleep yet, that was just looking at the cellular mechanisms, um, and then and then how that translates into the intracellular signaling molecules and pathways. So that's all within the cell. Once you take those intracellular mechanisms and pathways and you translate them into broader you know organ-wide brain-wide effects that's where you have to start talking about the actual therapeutic effects going from the signaling platform all the way into what does that look like in the brain itself So number one, all those mechanisms, all those signalers lead to a prevention of neuron atrophy. So neurons are brain cells, right mm-hmm? mm-hmm. Preventing them from shrinking, preventing shrinking. them from dying, is a big step in preventing neurodegeneration. That makes sense probably to most people, right? Yeah. So they say photobiomodulation was found to attenuate dendrite atrophy caused by the amyloid beta placking in hippocampal neurons. Also, it increases hematopoietic stem cells in circulation, and those are important for blood production, but just seeing more active stem cells in general in circulation means that we should be stimulating repair processes. Mm-hmm. Also, photobiomodulation restored dopamine content by increasing the expression of the dopamine transporters and tyrosine hydroxylase, which is the enzyme responsible for producing dopamine. What's dopamine?
1: It's an enhance, enhancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. So, Yep, exactly, and it's a big You're piece of why...
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: No, go. Cool.
0: It, it's a big piece of why a lot of neurodegeneration patients also face things like depression, mm-hmm. and anxiety. So yeah. not only um, performance, memory performance and things like that, but also mood is a big factor with, mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. with these two. And and so we're talking, in this case, preventing neuron atrophy by uh, the direct mechanisms of this intracellular signaling we just talked about, also increasing stem cell circulation, mm-hmm. to areas that are damaged in particular, and then increasing dopamine production, so those are those are those are big steps right there. As that, I say, that
1: seems huge. Yeah, I mean you'll have drugs that
0: try to do just one of those steps.
1: Right, and we just don't want to go down that drug trail. Well, we're going to talk
0: about that drug trail here in just a minute because everybody would love to have a drug or a pill or something that just makes my brain better. It's not that simple. No. That's what we're about to get into no. here towards the end. But I've got more therapeutic effects to throw at you first. Okay. Are you awake?
1: I am. Okay, good. This is, I, I find this very interesting.
0: Well, you know, I do too. Um, mm-hmm. I like to talk about, hey, we can fix rotator cuff tears and things like that. that that's, a, that's fun. That's easy to talk about. Breaking down the cellular mechanism is always important if you want to really understand what you're doing
1: mm-hmm. when it
0: comes to delivering photobiomodulation. If you're a laser therapy provider and you don't understand some of these pathways, then you're not going to be able to answer questions when right. patients ask them right um and you don't have to understand perfectly but you have to have at least a comprehension of what you're doing because you're not heating up the skin no you're not dissolving proteins no you're stimulating the body's processes and this is the nuts and bolts of how that's actually happening
1: and that's really amazing incredible that it works that way
0: well there's more to come because the next piece is that photobiomodulation brings about neuroprotective and anti-inflammatory responses decreasing cytotoxicity that is a big step when we're talking about diabetes type three where we have Mm -hmm. consistent chronic inflammation causing dysfunction and causing nerve damage you can reverse that with photobiomodulation
1: that's key reverse yeah i mean you can't do that with a lot of things yes you can try to cover it up to reverse it with photobiomodulation that's amazing yeah this is not placebo effect stuff. This no. is
0: this is all verified. Mm-hmm. Now, these are animal studies. We're going to talk about that in a minute, too. But you have to do animal studies to find these kind of effects yeah. and then translate that then to human studies, mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The next one is that photobiomodulation prevents apoptosis by increasing BCL2 and BCLXL, increasing BAX and suppressing the activity of caspase 3 and caspase 9 and Those are important because... When you prevent apoptosis in these amyloid beta, uh, amyloid beta cells, it lifts, lifts beta catenin inhibition. And that big cascade of events leads to decreased apoptosis or cell death from cells that are damaged. The brain doesn't build new neurons to replace dead neurons so now it can it can reroute damage it can reprogram neurons that's where we get into neuroplasticity which is really exciting stuff too Mm -hmm. but in the first place if you can keep those cells alive if you can repair them to the point that you keep them alive and repair those then you don't have to worry about the cell death being a significant factor here okay the next one because i'm not any i'm like halfway through this list is ridiculous (laughs) it's a great study it's a great there's just a lot of details but you asked for this you wanted to know how does it work how does it really work how mm-hmm. did what happens on the head when i you know or in the brain when i'm putting light on the brain well all this mm-hmm. and this is just what we understand at this point all right the next piece is that we increase antioxidant capacity which is an important part of being protective for any cell not just nerves in the brain mm-hmm. but improved antioxidants are protective Also, we get increased mitochondrial function and preservation, not just through increasing the activity of producing ATP, but in addition to improving mitochondrial oxidative phosphorylation through cytochrome C oxidase, already talked about that, Mm -hmm. it also raises MMP and improves ATP production. It also affects the mitochondrial dynamics by altering the fusion and fission processes. So. Photobomodulation preserves the expression of fusion proteins and prevents the shift towards fission and fragmentation that is a step that happens in the cell when there's significant damage or stress okay. the mitochondria stops functioning as well and starts to actually get to the point where it will break apart and die when that starts to happen on a large enough scale the entire cell will die or it'll trigger apoptosis like mm-hmm. we were just talking about cell mm-hmm. death program cell death so We went from talking about cell death in general to now we're talking about the actual organelle the mitochondria itself preventing it from going into fission and fragmentation which is a step in apoptosis what i want you to see with all this is that it's all linked it is all just enmeshed all these effects you can't just pick one of these out and say oh well let's let's increase atp and that will save the brain it's not the case at all all these effects are linked and essential to each other okay the next piece that it does is it does actually reduce the amyloid plaque burden meaning that it reduces those amyloid plaques that form on the brain we've already talked about that Mm -hmm. those are maybe more of a symptom than the actual disease but we are spending tens of thousands of dollars on drugs that have been shown to reduce amyloid plaque aduhelm is a brand new drug well brand new as of last year Delivered in infusion every month. I've talked about this one on the podcast before.
1: Right.
0: And it costs 5000 a month.
1: That's incredible.
0: And it's you know, people are supposed to be on it for life. And the only evidence we have that it works is that they get some decrease in these amyloid plaques. No indication that it actually improves function or quality of life or memory or anything.
1: But yet, people are still doing it.
0: People are still doing it. And now, Medicare has been roped into paying for it, which means that... I'm paying for it. You're paying for it too, for these people to get it.
1: But what are the side effects?
0: What are the side effects? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, too. that's
1: that's. I and mean, I mean, if it doesn't. There's even, no guarantee it's working, but there could be. There's no be guarantee it's working. Could be other side effects that are going down. Everything around. has a side effect. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so what are we
0: really getting out of these, you know, sixty thousand dollar a year infusions for patients? Well, you know what? If it was saving their quality of life and and helping them be better hey maybe that's worth it but the evidence isn't there to say that it is the
1: evidence isn't there to the The point point that
0: people on the fda advisory committee actually resigned when this went through because they disagreed with the level of evidence and it still got pushed through wow Mm. so i mean and when you compare the the narrow effects of a drug like that to what we just talked about here this (laughs) enmeshed intertwined system how can just reducing those amyloid plaques do anything you still have all these other factors that you're not addressing.
1: right?
0: And so that that's going to take us into one of our cautions here in a minute. We'll get there soon. I've still got more effects to talk about.
1: <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> all right.
0: if you're listening to the recording and you're bored, fast forward. But if you can pick up some of this, it'll, it'll be useful for you, hopefully. OK, uh, the next piece here is that photobar modulation activates a multidimensional stress response system in the cells meaning again we're not just getting rid of this protein right this amyloid plaque protein we're changing the entire stress response system in the cells we're activating all the emergency systems in the cells to trigger repair right that's a that's a big a big difference because it's to the point where if you use photobiomodulation on these on these damaged cells You actually alter the expression and activity of the genes and proteins involved in mitochondrial dynamics to alleviate mitochondrial stress. We already talked about mitochondrial stress leading to fragmentation and fission and reversing that, but we're also talking about even changing the expression of genes within the mitochondria to protect it and enhance it. Multiple pieces.
1: Yes. But it all works together. It all works together. together. Mm -hmm
0: yeah the next piece they say is that photobiomodulation influences an interconnected network of cellular signaling towards a beneficial effect so it affects multiple pathways multiple proteins each of which often regulates very different functions in the same cell type i won't go into the details on that one that's a good read though too just in the same cell type you can activate all these different types of responses through photobiomodulation this isn't a drug we're not we're just putting light, the right kind of light.
1: Non-invasive.
0: Non-invasive light. To activate this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, that's where you get to the total effect. That's what I've been leading up to with all this, all this stuff feeds together to create a total effect of neuroprotection and resistance to degeneration. But this is really cool. This is one of the first times I've seen this really outlined like this in a the paper. They say photobiomodulation shows pathology dependent effects. So in one study on diabetic retinopathy, they said that photobiomodulation increased PAKT and PHSP27, while other studies on Alzheimer's disease actually reported an increase in those those, uh, uh, proteins and in the PAKT as well. So that means that it was doing two different things on two different types of pathology. In one, it increased these, and the other, it decreased. That's a big deal because activation of AKT is beneficial in Alzheimer's disease, but it has the opposite effect in diabetic retinopathy. It does more harm than good. So if you really break that down, either the laser is intelligent or the laser, the light therapy, is actually triggering a response that is disease-dependent.
1: So the light is is helping the body do what it's supposed to. And it knows what to do when it gets stimulated. Yep.
0: And, and more than the light knowing it's that your cells know what to do. Yeah. And the light stimulates cells. Mm -hmm. And so therefore you can see different effects even across same cell lines in different types of pathology.
1: That's yep.
0: It's wild. It's wild. wild. You can't get that with drugs Mm -mm. ever that's why drugs have side effects if you want to stimulate this process it does it to all these different areas mm-hmm. and that's helpful in some cases and not in other cases right. in this case light therapy actually stimulates a beneficial response in this pathology and a different response is beneficial in this other pathology
1: that's amazing that's wild
0: that is there's nothing else like that no so not only do we have total effects on on the thera- on the cellular mechanisms the therapeutic effects that can happen in the brain you have pathology dependent effects as well and this all sounds like you know wild you know earth shaking stuff and it is and it's mm-hmm. not talked about enough Mm-mm. but there's a few cautions to get into number one is that we got to go down a different pathway with drugs
1: mm-hmm. definitely
0: and that's what this paper really shows and they say that singularly targeting a particular signaling cascade is bound to fail, as seen with most pharmacological drugs for neurodegenerative diseases so far. Since each pathway intersects with others to bring about a collective outcome, suppressing or enhancing any one part of that complicated program can very often cause a whole different outcome. That's already what we've been saying. But they say it plain as day here. You can't just target one thing. You can't just target the amyloid plaques. It leaves off the whole rest of the system, and it has other effects, exactly like you just just, said. Mm -hmm. So you have to be targeting the entire system. Secondly, other than symptomatic treatments, most drugs aimed at slowing the disease progression fail in human studies, even though they showed promise in animal models. That's how we've gotten to where we're at right now, is that we see these animal studies, we talk about findings from animal study papers, and then we implement drugs that are supposed to do the same thing and it doesn't work as well when it gets to the human side. And there are differences, animal and human, Mm -hmm. even though there are similarities. But we have to be careful even taking this photobiomodulation information and trying to translate it directly to human too. Mm -hmm. So while we can learn a lot from these animal studies and a lot about cellular mechanisms, we can't simply take what these researchers did with their photobiomodulation settings and protocols and translate that directly to humans. It doesn't work. Unfortunately. So you have to take these principles though and see how to translate them to humans. Mm -hmm. So if you're a healthcare provider, how do you, how do you use all this info? Well, number one, you're probably not going to use a lot of this on the day to day. You know, you're just not, I think it's important to know it, to have it out there. And if you want to maybe workshop, you know, neurodegenerative diseases with a patient, or you want to understand this process better, understand why the medications don't work, this is good to know. But to try and take what they saw in research on mice and other animal studies here from this paper and translate that directly to people does not work very well. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is that the wavelengths they used for these mouse studies is typically in the visible red spectrum visible red light can do amazing things Mm -hmm. however one of the things it can't do is get through the skull
1: right that was one thing I was thinking of earlier on is we've got the skull to get through exactly
0: they say for neurodegenerative diseases the most commonly used application mode is transcranial where the light is applied directly to the head Mm -hmm. if you're going to do that you've got to be able to get light to the brain through the skull through the hair through the scalp uh, through the dura Mm and that surrounds the brain and, and, and red, red light, light simply, simply cannot do that, which discounts right. some of brain. what you see here. However, we know that infrared light of certain right. wavelengths can reach the brain and can stimulate a lot of these same pathways. So mm-hmm. there is a way to get there. The problem is we don't have as much research yet as we need mm-hmm. to really show us what are the settings we need to use? What are the wavelengths we need to use? How often do you treat the person? Mm-hmm. What are your power settings? Mm-hmm. What's your fluence? You know, what, what about pulse rate? Where does all this come in, right? That's a difficulty mm-hmm. that this study simply so cannot answer. And it's, it's not trying tiny. to answer that. Right. We're just looking at cellular effects mechanisms. Right. So what do you do with this as a healthcare provider then? If you want to use laser, it probably sounds like I'm saying that we just need to wait for research. We don't necessarily need to wait for research because there's more every year. Mm -hmm. But if you understand this process, you understand a bit about how this works, you can translate that to clinical practice. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: If you want to do all the homework yourself, you can, it'll be a lot of work. Or you can let us do it for you. Mm -hmm. Because here at LTI, we actually provide protocols, settings, we can help guide you on your laser equipment purchasing, Mm
1: -hmm. Uh,
0: we can help you with practice coaching. We can help you set up an entire laser practice and be able to be successful with a multitude of disorders and actually i'm on a coaching call later today even talking to one of our members about how to make sure that we're implementing transcranial light therapy safely and correctly because it can be done very easily and we've already done the legwork for you so if you have questions about that just need to reach out to us okay i've talked out all the words that i need to talk about
1: (laughs) I'm still processing everything that you said. It's very, very interesting, but knowing how it works is key. Whether you understand that all doesn't, I mean, you still need to translate it into your practice. Right. But like you said, we've got a leg up on that with the protocols that have been developed here.
0: Absolutely. Yep. LTI protocols are based on research like this, as well as seeing what works in clinical practice over 10,000 visits a year that we see here in the home clinic, uh, as well as multiple thousands of visits per year in LTI clinics around the country. If you want to become a part of that, look us up, lasertherapyinstitute.org. If you have questions, shoot us an email, info at lasertherapyinstitute.org. And if you don't mind, leave us a rating or a review on our podcast, if you're listening on the podcast, or share this on Facebook where you're seeing it right now. Thanks very much for coming along. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a
1: certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.